Hello, everybody. This is Dr. Deanna Minnick. Welcome to the Color Can Heal Your Life podcast, where we explore how you can get some more color, creativity, and healing in your everyday life. We get to look at the spectrum of eating, living, feeling, and creating that you're all about. So let's dive into the inspiration and information rainbow that awaits us. Hi, everybody. This is Dr. Deanna. Welcome back for another episode of Color Can Heal Your Life. And in this episode, I am interviewing Nikki Gratrix. If you don't know who she is, she is an award-winning nutritional therapist, bioenergetic, and psychology practitioner. And what she's been doing over the past years is helping people to optimize their energy and overcome emotional stress and trauma. I'm really excited to talk with her in this session about trauma. I feel like it's one of those aspects of health and healing that not a lot of practitioners ask about and even if they do ask about they're not always aware of the many tools to help people with trauma and uh, as you're going to see in this talk this is loaded get ready because she has supercharged this podcast with an abundant supply of many different tools and tips that everybody can use And so um, hang on and uh, enjoy the experience. And I would say for this, have a piece of paper and a pen to write down some of these these different things she mentioned. She uh, lists quite a number of them. And if you look on her website, which is NikkiGraytricks.com, you'll see that she does have a free report, which you can get more information from. So here we go. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Color Can Heal Your Life podcast. And our special guest today is Nikki Graytrix. Hi, Nikki. Hi, Diana. Great to be here. So thank you for having me. Yeah, really lovely to uh, be talking with you again. As we were just saying, it's been some time since you had your last summit and you've been busy and now you're you're in this mode of receptivity and giving yourself a bit of a break. So it's good to have you back in the flow of things. You know, before we get into the topic that we're going to talk about, which is uh, an incredible topic that I think so many people want to hear about, it's trauma, I want to ask you a more mundane yet um, fun question, and that is, what is your favorite color? (laughs) I think at the moment, it's changed, and and actually for me, it does evolve, and I think that's a good thing. I, I'm into green at the moment, um, and I think that because it's it's reflective of exactly what you said, like heart energy, receptivity, but also connection. For me, it's connection to the earth right now. I mean, I live by the ocean, and I don't have enough green, so I'm I'm sort of receiving lots of green, and I've just bought lots lots of plants to help with that. <laughs> wow, you need to come visit me in the Pacific Northwest. I just had somebody over yesterday. She's from Temecula, California, and she was just saying she was in awe of all. The- trees we live in a cedar tree forest and so she's um you know she likes the the ocean but uh, there is something about the green and I like what you said about connection to the earth you know this whole concept of forest bathing and you're such a heart-centered person oh yes I I yeah I miss the trees and you know it's so green the green fields of England she's where I'm from um, but I could do without all the rain. <laughs> so I, I it does keep it green, you know. <laughs> I know, I know. I can't complain. So I, I do enjoy California where I live. But, um, yeah, green's important. And, um, yeah, I love the color. And I love, yeah, the fact that it's it's also representative of heart energy, which is yeah. probably what we're going to talk about a little bit as well. Absolutely. And that's one of the things that I like about your approach into health and wellness is that, 
you look at health in a very multifaceted way. It's not just the physical body. You also recognize the emotional body, the mental body, even the energy body. And so as we talk about trauma, I think that we're going to traverse through these different pieces is my take and just knowing you a bit and your orientation. But I'm kind of curious, how did you even get into, you've been into energy, fatigue, and these types of issues for some time. How did you get into trauma? Very interesting. So it actually, for me, I originally was sort of co-founded a clinic specializing in helping people overcome chronic fatigue. And I did that for sort of five years. And what I discovered in that process is that there's a huge number of people with fatigue who had trauma in childhood. And as I started to research that, I then found this like epidemic of levels of trauma that have gone unreported. But chronic fatigue, and I would also say fibromyalgia, are kind of like the poster children. So, I mean, apparently, according to the CDC and Kaiser Permanente, like a huge study called the ACEs study, which is the Adverse Childhood Events Study, like 67% of all adults have had trauma in childhood. And like, if you have high levels of trauma, you have an increased risk of seven out of the top 10 causes of death. And if you have moderate sort of levels, you have a 20 year reduction in lifespan. But specifically, if you had sort of moderate levels of, of adversity in childhood, you have a six-fold increased risk of chronic fatigue. So I kind of always knew from the beginning when I was working with fatigue and like returning to abundant energy and so on, that you couldn't look at that and just look at, the, say, the biochemistry. You had to look at the energetic aspects and the psychological aspects as well. And if you take that kind of multifactorial approach, that's when you're going to get optimum results with people. Mm. You know, and, and as you're saying all of that, that's pretty profound. And it, it, it's interesting because when you look at all the factors of longevity, chronic disease risk, we think of eating more fruits and vegetables and exercising, but I don't see anything about trauma and looking at people's emotional and physical past and how that plays into everything. I'm kind of curious, but maybe we should step back. How do you even define trauma? And in these studies where you see a six-fold increase in chronic fatigue, how are they defining it? Because I can imagine that there's a spectrum of trauma. Yes, absolutely. It's a, it's a brilliant question. So when, when we talk about trauma, most people think of trauma as, as kind of like natural disasters or maybe being you know assaulted or being in an accident, like a one-off discrete accident something like that. And it usually relates to something we call post-traumatic stress disorder, also known as PTSD. Um, but actually, most trauma doesn't qualify for PTSD. Most trauma is actually what we call developmental trauma. And this is much more, it's ambient, or you could also call it relational trauma. And it's not usually like um, a one-off event. It's something which is, that's why it's ambient relational, usually to do with our attachment relationships with key caregivers. And this is really what came out of what we call this ACEs study. It's interesting to look at that study and how did they define it. They, they had 10 categories of, of kind of what they said was a adverse childhood events, they called it. They said parents separating or divorce, physical, sexual or emotional abuse, physical and emotional neglect, domestic violence, mental illness in the family, substance abuse and incarceration by a family uh, member. So most of those actually may not qualify as PTSD. With PTSD, you kind of get symptoms of um, kind of flashbacks to the event. It usually relates to, like I mentioned, a single event that happened where you then start having flashback memories and it will, you would be more keyed up, you'd have trouble sleeping, you would be more 
tempted to, or sort of stuck in a kind of sympathetic stress arousal state a lot. With developmental trauma, it's different. It's, it tends to be more symptoms of trouble regulating anxiety, depression, um, self-loathing, shame, high levels of self-criticism, and also more inter- interrelational problems as well. And actually, that those kinds of symptoms are the things that I see in clinics way more than somebody who's sort of, you know, obviously coming from what, say, a war environment. Not to minimise those either. And of course, it's called they also call it complex um, PTSD. So it's not just one event. It's like this sort of maybe it could be many events, and it's kind of ongoing. So it's it's a good question, and it's not well understood stood in in the wider community about developmental trauma and we have it is literally at epidemic levels even something like you take emotional neglect that can have a profound impact on somebody but like how do they know to (laughs) self-report they've been emotionally neglected because that's that's part of the essence of of that kind of trauma so there's a sort of evolution and, and understanding about it Um, But the fact it's linked, you know, our early life emotional and social experience leads to all of these crazy statistics of increased um, correlation with chronic complex illness. If you have high levels, if you have like sort of eight, ACEs as they call it, eight of those categories that I mentioned, you have three times the risk of lung disease and three and a half times the risk of heart disease. If you have just four of those ACEs, you have a 400% increase of depression Alzheimer's, dementia, um, like diabetes, it's crazy. So it, it's across the board. And it, it's probably the most underexposed risk factor for chronic complex illness. Um, yeah, one of the most important studies done. 17,500 adults were reviewed in that study. So as you're saying this, I'm taking so many notes and I have so many questions, even more than notes. Uh, everything you're saying is so intriguing and it's stimulating a, a thought process in my mind that. I hadn't really entertained before, and that is, I can imagine, so I'm just going to give you like three things that I'm thinking about. I would like you to respond to any of them in any way you want. One is, uh, I'm even thinking of my father, who was a Chicago police officer for 39 years. He definitely has what I would say the first kind of trauma that you mentioned. Um, He has symptoms of flashbacks. He has an upregulated sympathetic nervous system, yet it's not a one-off accident. It's like a lifelong battery of stress and dealing with a lot of different incidences. So it kind of seems like some of these could tango together and I feel like they they could be implicated in um, kind of a wider picture. So I, I'm thinking about that. And then number two, I'm kind of thinking, doesn't everybody have one of these kinds of traumas? And, and even though you state that, you know, if you have eight of them or four of them, there's a difference in the level of chronic disease risk. I kind of feel like, you know, you could have somebody who's really sensitive like me who has one or two of them and could have pronounced symptoms to maybe the same level as somebody else who had exposure to eight, depending on who they are, where they live, and their coping strategies and all of those things. And then the third thing I'm thinking about is epigenetics. You know, I was listening to a a podcast um, by a, a researcher who did some work on Holocaust survivors' offspring and how they were already primed for these experiences in in many ways and so don't some of us have more of a sensitive template than others and eventually what i do want to talk with you about is what do we do about it because i think everybody in some way has some trauma that they've experienced whether or not it's the accident or the developmental relational type of trauma so go go at any different point there but these are just floating through my mind all these issues (laughs) 
Yeah, so I totally agree. Uh, this is probably not really acknowledged or understood that, yeah, I think absolutely the majority of people have had uh, exposures to, to trauma. And when I'm talking about trauma and stress and stressful events, I'm talking about kind of toxic stress. So it's where it has a negative impact on us. You're not, so there's also positive stress as well. So I just meant, want to make that de um, definition. But there's also, it kind of touching on what you're saying, there's also intergenerationally inherited trauma, definitely. And there are mainstream studies coming out confirming that. So, for example, third um, generation survivors of the Holocaust victims have the same physiological and psychological expression as their parents or grandparents who were in the Holocaust. And you see that wherever there's been war or famine, you'll see that running down the generations. And so that's definitely kind of bringing in the epigenetics aspect. So even if you look back at your own childhood and go, ah, it's not really much going on, but then look, what did, what did your parents go through? What did your grandparents go through? Also, absolutely, it's a really key point about some people being more sensitive than others. So there's definitely, I, we see a high level, for example, in chronic fatigue, where I mentioned um, that it's like the poster child. We see a high levels of gene mutations, polymorphisms, that increase susceptibility to be um, very sensitive to stress. One's like, one's like NR3C1, which increases your reaction. It's the glucocorticoid receptors in the hippocampus that will literally react more and cortisol will last longer than people who don't have that particular mutation. And there's two or three others. Now, just, there's a beautiful, I don't know if you've come across this research yet, Diana, but there's a, a beautiful um, research theory that's been proven empirically about orchids versus dandelions. And they're talking about children as being dandelions. So dandelions, you can kind of, you can put the seed anywhere and they can pretty much survive and thrive in quite adverse environments and they do okay. Orchids, on the other hand, they kind of need the greenhouse care. They don't do so well with a negative early life experience. However, if they get greenhouse care, they outdo the dandelions. Now, that's amazing. Yeah, it's empirically being shown where they've taken uh, groups of children and uh, families where they've had like difficult children or kind of um, kind of children that have got opposite, uh, oppositional and kind of aggressive behavior and so on. And they've done an intervention to help the family sort of um, release this kind of uh, behavior. And then they've looked, they've analyzed how the children responded the ones that outdid everybody were ones with the risk allele, with the with the polymorphism. So it's amazing they're actually showing empirically there are these sort of children, orchid children. So they're more sensitive. They they kind of have it's a gift actually. They may view it as like, oh my god, I'm so sensitive to everything. I seem to react more to other people who are like, you know, negative people or chemicals or bad diet. On the other hand, it's a gift because your nervous system is set up to be, I call it like for looking at a Ferrari versus a Land Rover as well. <laughs> so if you've kind of, you know, if you've got a Land Rover, you don't do, you kind of do well driving off road, um, but you can't go at 200 miles an hour, you know, down a, down a concrete straight road. But you don't want to take your Ferrari off, off road. It doesn't fare well. So it was an amazing theory that's being proven as true because the orchids can be some of the most successful, productive givers in society so they fare better when they get that that uh, sort of you know kind of what we call greenhouse care. So they'll do the worst in a bad environment, but they'll outdo the dandelions if they get the right environment. Does that make sense? It absolutely makes sense. And actually, I'm taking that greenhouse effect into this care that you're speaking to into the green color. Right? It's it's 
about the healing salve of love and really expanding rather than contracting into the fear of surviving and thriving, you know, back into the, the red of reactivity. Um, I love this. Yeah, it, it absolutely makes sense. And I like the fact that you brought in polymorphisms, talking about SNPs and genetics and this, this whole dynamic interplay between epigenetics and genetics. So what are so out of everything that you've seen you said that you've been to many clinics and you've seen how people are really struggling with this i'm curious what resources there are for people to get them going to heal this and i'm wondering if it can ever be fully healed or are there just coping mechanisms to help people as best that, it's kind of like stress you can never get rid of stress it's always going to be there but we can change our response to it so i'm kind of curious about trauma I would say you can absolutely reverse the impact of trauma, which is the good news. And you can learn, I call it kind of learning what your make and model is so that you can also kind of manipulate your environment to support what you need. So that you, so as an orchid, if you identify yourself as that, you may need to, you know, adjust your environment accordingly. But if you do do that, you'll thrive in that environment. But also we, we know the research shows that early life stress. Early life stress is so important just because the child is brain still developing. And obviously there's this thing called neuroplasticity, which means the brain structure can change. And it is changed by our social interactions. It's changed uh, by others and their interaction with us. So which is why it's early life stress is so important because we're, we're very malleable at that age. But as adults, the research totally shows as well that we can change the structure of our brains. We can change the way that our brains have been set up if, it, if they went down survival mode, we can reset the nervous system and we can reset the, the neuroendocrine immune response, which has got kind of got reset in childhood. So there's so many things that we can do, which is the good news. And I was something I was just going to say as well. With all my work in this, it, it's the mind and the body. We are so, it's so just one thing. <laughs> you can't like reduce it down. And if we reduce it just to doing biochemical approaches or just uh, using psychology approaches so for example one of the things the first things i look at and it's quite back to basics but if somebody's been through a lot of trauma uh, the first things i'm looking at is i want to see their diet and i want to see if they're managing their blood sugar <laughs> because mm. you know it's the, it's the first thing that goes out of whack if somebody's had early life stress the glucocorticoid receptor and the neuroendocrine immune system is reset and they're tending to like probably towards pre-diabetic state which could be worsened by a bad diet so they're getting all kinds of symptoms of like anxiety jittery sort of energy drops which a psychologist might look at that and go oh my god it's bipolar or they've got anxiety or depression no they've just got a blood sugar imbalance mm -hmm. which is totally strategically manageable through diet. So the first thing I look at is, I, this is, I call them bottom-up, bottom-up approaches. So managing blood sugar symptoms, check if you're eating protein at each meal, that you're you know, not skipping meals, that you're having um, adequate a snack between meals if necessary as well, and you're not feeling starving, hungry, to a, a, an hour or so after a meal if you're having that you're not having you you're not grounded enough in your diet so so somebody's been through a lot of trauma step one we look at that step two is another basic bottom-up thing which is huge because psychological stress absolutely changes the gut bacteria absolutely increases 
intestinal permeability. Um, I think they've shown there's experiments uh, in rhesus monkeys where it's like separating baby monkey from mother. You get leaky gut within six hours. It's, it's wow. Crazy. Yeah, it's insane. So we we want to if you've been through you know in stress state from a young age, you need to address the gut, mm. and um, you'll want to be assessing. You know, most people I know, they've all got the digestive issues that are working with trauma. <laughs> so, you know, assess the gut and heal and treat it for, for leaky gut. And were you going to say something as well? Well, what's your approach? What's your favorite approach to treating leaky gut? Because it's not very easy to to address is what I've been seeing. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know what? It's very interesting that you say that. I First of all, I do a diet to manage blood sugar. Second, I would assess if I think somebody... I, I tend to experiment with people. So I might say, you know, it, uh, they could try a FODMATS diet. If we think they've got C, you know, small intestinal bowel overgrowth, but I don't have people on things for like months. So I might try them, like try this diet for two or three weeks and see how you're doing it. Try maybe uh, also like a, either a GAPS diet or a, a paleo type diet. And normally what we do is we kind of identify which ones they feel better on. Um, and that's, they, but blood sugar management is the top thing. Um, but I don't have somebody, you know, one of the problems with, if you're working with people who've got like trauma and they do have a tendency to anxiety and things like this, you stick them on a paleo low carb diet for gut healing and their anxiety goes through the roof and they sleep worse because that type of diet actually doesn't help. It raises cortisol. It reduces things like serotonin, right? So I'm always careful about that type of diet with um, somebody who's had trauma and is, if they're having anxiety and they, 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 their system is in stress arousal a lot of the time. So I, hope, I know it's probably confusing people. There isn't a fixed sort of one set you know, one thing works for everybody. What I would do is stick to the basics to start out with, like, so, you know, just go for a whole foods, organic, unrefined, unprocessed diet, You're and with plenty of vegetables, do the rainbow diet, you know, keep all the colors in there, and you're already getting a good step towards it, like highly nutritious diet as well. But yeah, I hope that's probably confused everybody now, but it's not a one you know, there isn't one well, size. Yeah. And what you're speaking to is a personalized approach, right? And so working with a health professional who can understand, number one, even how to diagnose leaky gut and then apply a personalized. And sometimes it may take a couple of different approaches. It's like, okay, well, this food plan kind of worked, but only about 60%. So we need to try something else. That's great. So food and something physical, what do you do on the emotional side? What, what, what would help emotional, mental aspects of trauma? Great. Well, actually, I'll, I'll mention one other thing, which has been a real breakthrough in the work that I've been doing. And it's kind of between the two. But I tell you, it's been a massive hit is circadian rhythm management. This has been really important. Mm, talk more so, about that. Oh, yeah, yeah. This is this can change your life. You know, if I could just do one thing with somebody that would change their life, like go to bed at 930, <laughs> turn everything off, have complete darkness in your bedroom at night, like not even tiny, you know, electronic lights from, from even alarm clocks, get in bed by 930, get up, get bright sunlight. If you don't have access to bright sunlight, there are these like the, the 10,000 lux lights that you can get and it needs to be in the 30, first 30 minutes of getting up in the morning. Um, in the evening time as well, when it gets dark, go for everything that's to do with campfire light. So if you think, you know, hundreds of years ago, we didn't have, uh, you know, the, the lights, the bright white lights that we have. So we want to go orange. So you can either, either get these blue blocking 
light glasses that actually block blue light when it gets dark or you can I've changed all my bulbs to orange it's so destimulating and it starts to calm you down in once it starts to get dark and then go to bed at 9 30 but then get the bright sunlight first thing in the morning and get bright sunlight for at least an hour a day if you can the circadian rhythm is so important like it's so many people feel terrible when they get up in the morning they, they go straight into trauma and stress when they wake up it's like they're getting up like the house is on fire when you go to bed early you'll if you worry about oh but you know i i have things to do it's like no you'll be more productive and you'll make up for what you perceive as lost time if you get up earlier in the morning it'll give you an extra hour or so in the morning for time for you to do some of these other things I'll talk about, which start to reset the nervous system and kind of create this safe space. Because the first thing you do in the morning, that's really important. Your state of being in the morning sets you up for the rest of the day. Oh my so, gosh, that, that, that's brilliant. Can I just ask you, before you go on to the other things, give us some resources. You can talk about products, but is there an actual light that can shift from orange to blue? And so I don't have to keep changing light bulbs and just moving lights around. Is there something that has already accommodated this like just a, a static light fixture of some sort well I, I, I haven't come across something that changes like one lamp that changes color you can get the things on your iPhones and, and um, computers by the way um, yes. the F-flux mm -hmm. that you can use and it will turn your by the way that's one of the worst sources of blue light which is so detrimental at the wrong times of day it's the I'm just get all my clients like get off your iPhone you know get get off your iPhones get off the computers anytime after like 9.30 and even into the evenings just calm all that down get the flux um, E-flux no F-flux which changes your computer color as well at the right times of day um, what I tend to do is I have certain lamps. I have lamps where it's like evening and I want orange and I just have, they're not expensive to have like maybe more than one lamp. So I have my orange lamps and then I always, I, you know, I'll need to have one or two lamps that are white light that I'll need to use like maybe when I'm in the kitchen or, you know, in the bathroom or something like that. So that's how I do it. But the glasses, the blue blocking glasses, you get them on Amazon, not expensive. You can get them between 10 and 20 bucks online. It's literally blue blocking, amber or red is the strongest, which block out the blue light. Only when it gets dark would you start to use those. I don't recommend them during the day. During the day, you need the bright light because that is, it's literally a signal to your pineal gland. And people don't realize that the entire hormonal system in the body is being directed by the timings of this light so we can correct to dream well, quote unquote adrenal fatigue which is not a word that i like to use because it's not very reflective of what's going on but adrenal fatigue you can sort that out just by doing your circadian rhythm management so yeah that's it circadian rhythm is is, is huge and it, it really helps people just you start to feel more grounded you're in tune with the earth you know, and when we used to go to bed and it's, it just starts to ground you and it gives you a rhythm and your body just starts to light up. And it's like you get bright sunlight first thing in the morning. It's like getting a shot, a shot of caffeine without all the side effects. I love, so, it. I love it. And I also like what you said about adrenal fatigue. I, I think that one of the ways that we address that is we work upstream at the level of the hypothalamus and the pineal gland as you're speaking to by gauging our environment with light. Now, if we don't live in a place with a lot of light, like I don't, like you mentioned that you don't uh, like all the rain and uh, <laughs> the darkness that comes along with the rain, it's almost like we have to really be cognizant of the types of lights that we have in our environment. And you gave us lots of great tips here. 
Yes. So I do recommend the 10,000 Lux lights, just pure white lights. Again, you, you can get them for about, they, they range between about 60 and, and 100 bucks for a 10,000 Lux light. They'll, you'll see them online as being um, for, you know, clinically approved for depression and things like that. So you can, it's great. We just switch that on first thing in the morning, like while you're still in bed. And it's like, you, it just feels like it starts to wake your whole body up and it's, it's a mood lifter. So um, that and yeah, paying extra attention if you're in a sort of, you know, I have a lot of people I work with in the UK and like, look, as soon as the sunlight comes out, go outside because you're probably only going to get it for 30 minutes or something like that. So yeah, paying really close attention to that. You know, I, some, I heard someone else say that if you're one of these types of people that you are, you get up in the dark, you go straight into an office where you're working with fluorescent artificial mm. lights yeah. throughout the day, you never go out for lunch, you come back in the dark you might as well be eating McDonald's all day, every day. It's that bad. So mm. circadian rhythm has been, uh, people love it as well when they start to do it because they just feel so different. It, it's just, it's like an, an easy win. It's an early win. So circadian rhythm, there are some other really powerful things you can do that are getting more into the emotional aspects. Um, Pick the biggest yeah. one. Yeah, let, let's focus on one more that um, really does target that, kind of like your favorite, because you have so many different modalities and I... <laughs> <laughs> this is awesome, by the way. I, all of these notes on light. Yeah, what would you choose in the emotional, mental space then? Yeah, I probably the, a big favorite of mine right now is anything which stimulates the vagus nerve. So the vagus nerve is awesome. We love the vagus nerve. It's part of the parasympathetic side of the autonomic nervous system, which is the rest digest, detoxify, feed and breed side. So it's the calming healing state. I call it the healing state. And it's required for everything else you're going to do. If you want to heal the body, you need to be in a healing state. And if you want to heal your emotional state, you also need to be stimulating the vagus nerve. There's amazing research showing that they're, they're electrically stimulating the vagus nerve and they've been curing arthritis. Um, they've, they've been curing fibromyalgia. Um, it, there's a depression has come through. It's now FDA approved for epilepsy, depression, like that's the electrical ways of stimulating the vagus nerve. They also show that when you have a higher vagal tone, which means a more active vagus nerve, it would be linked with something called heart rate variability and a high heart rate variability. That's a sign of not only health and a, you're in a healing state, it's totally linked with positive emotional feelings. So, um, and that's absolutely in, in the research that a higher vagal tone is linked with higher emotional states. So there it is, there's the mind-body connection right there in that one nerve that when you're in a high emotional state, you're, you're, you're in a less uh, inflammatory mode stimulating the vagus nerve heals leaky gut by the way so this is just an add-in linking back to the gut work you can't i don't do gut work without addressing the psychology and stimulating the vagus nerve because it directly closes the you know the junctions in that get um the the, the you know it makes the junctions tight so we heal leaky gut as well as it supports motility of the entire gastro gastrointestinal tract so this is why when people are stressed and in a low state and they're in a low survival sort of state your your heart rate variability will be low your vagus nerve will be low and you'll be in a pro-inflammatory leaky gut mode so there are tons of ways to stimulate the vagus nerve my top ones and these are only anything i say is there's like the science behind it you'll find the research papers the best thing you can do is deep breathing. That's one of the best ways to stimulate the vagus nerve, scientifically proven. I love doing deep yogic exhales, um, the exhale breaths. One is called horse breath, and there's also um, 
lion's breath, you can look that, you can sort of Google that, but just deep exhales, any kind of slow breathing. So you can imagine a more morning routine where you turn your red light, you turn your white light on, maybe you're going to sit on a cushion, start with five to 10 deep yogic exhales. Meditation, scientifically proven, raises vagal tone. Um, yoga is a great one. I, I'm a big fan of yoga therapy, so it's not all about doing amazing poses. It's about uh, movement with awareness. So anything where you're bringing awareness, um, yoga is another fantastic thing. You could do just you know a few poses in the morning, like six, maybe six, and doing the deep breathing with that with the, the yoga. You're starting to set up your vagus nerve, and you're paying attention to your body already. There's so many other things you could do. Um, by the way, singing, om chanting works as well, um, that proven to raise vagal tone. Uh, laughter increases vagal tone, obviously, it's a good one. Positive social relations will do it. Uh, pretty much all the different types of meditations. Tai Chi, Qigong also works. So all of the, the mind-body interventions work, acupuncture does as well. There are also some bottom-up things that you'd be surprised about, um, like beet juice. So beet juice, <laughs> drinking beet juice increases... Mm bagel tone yeah you need to be careful on the sugar content with that so i tend to might maybe have one with mostly a green vegetable juice and then also the green leafy veggies have been shown to increase heart rate variability which means increasing bagel tone so get your vegetable juices in um on a daily basis as well um just think that there's so many i think i've got 40 different ways you could stimulate the vagus nerve. <laughs> or, or like, gonna, yeah psychology is gargling one of them? I've heard that from uh, functional medicine practitioners, gargling. Yes. Now, I, I, I haven't seen a paper that says it increases heart rate variability. I do think it does stimulate the vagus nerve part that is linked to digestive wellness. Mm -hmm. So I think it's coffee enemas, gargling, and um, there was one of those. Oh, yeah, stimulating the gag reflex. It's not the greatest thing to do. It, it may actually not be the part. There's a part of the vagus nerve that doesn't necessarily bring you the high emotional state. It may be that it's that's what we call the dorsal part of the vagus nerve, but it works with digestion. So I know I've, I've, um, I've heard it's Dr. Datis Karazian who talks about that, a huge respect for him, and I, he's using it all the time with his clients. So he's into the vagus nerve because he knows the vagus nerve is enervates and stimulates healthy gut. So this is, yeah, it's just so linked that that's why you don't want this reductionistic approach to the gut either. And it's why I don't get over-focused too much just on diet, looking at the healing the gut, because it's it's so linked with the rest of the nervous system and whether you're in a healing state or a stress state. Um, so yes, there are those three that I tend to mainly recommend when somebody's got specific digestive issues that they need to improve. Um, so, but it's not always my favorite, my top line sort of things that I recommend because those sort of things also make people feel high when they do them as well, the ones that stimulate the and of course, you need that. You, you, that's, it's such an important thing to do with people who've been through trauma. And it's not something you're just going to do as a one-off thing. It's, it needs to become a way of life. It needs to become how you start your day. And most of us don't do that. So we want this healing, nurturing, self-aware it's like taking care of yourself. First thing in the morning, I'm going to tend to my heart. <laughs> the vagus nerve goes straight over the heart, you know. So start from this safe space where you're grounding in deep yogic exhales. Do some kind of, um, you know, I, I get the light going. By the way, here's a great one to raise heart rate variability. Essential oils. Essential oils. Hmm. 
tons of papers that they increase um, heart rate variability. So I try and pack these things all in together. So we'll try and do a breathing, do movement, get the white light going. Red light's really healthy as well. Getting some red light's very therapeutic too. And then get your essential oils on. And first thing in the morning, switch them on. Lots of them have been scientifically shown. Uh, juniper berry, lavender, bergamot's great. Um, so really, you can't you can't go wrong with those either. So they're a lovely way. As soon as you you know you can create a very nurturing morning routine that sets you up for the day. So that's one of the most important things to start with. Um, wow. But- <laughs> <laughs> Is there somewhere a blog that you've written or something that really um, just does a, a download of everything that you just mentioned? I'm scrambling to write them all down. I think they're great. I mean, these are just wonderful pearls. So practical. I really appreciate this. Is there something that you've written that we can direct people to so that they can read more about this or at least have this active list? Yes. So what's actually happening in the next, it's within a month, if you'll go to my website, I've got a free ebook on there, which is the seven steps to healing emotional trauma. And that's where I really talk about adverse childhood events. I talk about the mechanisms and I give people a lot of information about different psychotherapeutic interventions. But if you, if you sign up to that, I'm about to release, I've been literally, I've got all this data on me now because I've just written my 18,000 words on everything we've just talked about. And I'm going to be releasing them um, in the next few, literally in the next few weeks. So starting with more about ACEs, then we're going to do what vagus nerve. And I think I've got 40 different ways of stimulating the vagus nerve. And then also I've got another one coming out on rewiring the brain. So if all you do is just sign up for the free book, which is on the home page of my website, you'll be on my email list and you'll get the articles coming out in the next week or so. I see it now. And, and her website, everyone, is NikkiGratrix.com, N-I-K-I-G-R-A-T-R-I-X. And it's amazing. I'm seeing it, this report that you have. You have so much information here. So this is, um, check her website out. It's really fantastic. Nikki, this has been great. I feel like we could talk um, much longer. You, you just have a, a, you have abundant energy and information. <laughs> Hence, uh, being the expert you are in that area. So, um, and in many areas too. So thank you so much. This is really great. I, thank you so much for being brave enough to go into the terrain of trauma because I... I know that it's a touchy area for many people, and oftentimes people feel like they have to be a psychotherapist or a, um, a psychiatrist in order to tackle this, but you just mentioned a number of different ways nutritionally, and even through our environment, through light, that we can address this. And again, focusing on our vagus nerve, our heart rate variability, I love the heart math technology, which I know that you're aware of too. So lots of different things out there. So thank you so very much. This has been great. No problem. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you so much for having me. It's, it's been really good fun. Thank you. And uh, next time I see you, I'm going to ask you about your favorite color and see if it's changed from green. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> Lovely. 